in a house by the Chesapeake Bay. You're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live monthly show in Echo Park, California, where folks read their letters on stage. Real letters they've written, letters they've received, correspondence back and forth, or letters we wish we could write. Tom Lenk, known for his recurring role on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, reads a fan letter that just seems to rub him the wrong way. Hi. I had two choices of letters to read, and I let my day today dictate which one I was going to read. And so you should know, I had an audition earlier today that I was just seething with anger afterwards. So angry. And I just went into a blackout state and then did the audition, and they ushered me out very quickly. So... This is a letter that somebody wrote to me on Facebook that requested my friendship. And um, he wrote it in truncated little bits, and this is his letter. Hey, Tom, your legacy as Andrew, your character, was who I kind of am. I'm a geek to a degree, but a pedigree on another level. I am a twice-published author. We'll say his first name is James. Okay. Um, I wish you would get back in front of the camera, dude. trying, James. Apparently not today. I'm a rising rider and my wheels are in neutral. (laughs) Congrats on your relationship. I'm engaged. Anyway, my belief in your talent, (laughs) who and what you, you are, your talent is imprinted me as an artist. Thank you. Dude, again, I am a twice-published author, and my history with film goes back to 2007. You need to come back, Tom! Your fans need you. Get back in front, bro. I know you could carry a leading role, because your business is your business. (laughs) From a man that has been around Hollywood via the Woodstock Film Festival. What? Okay. My credits are legit. FB the WFF. Dude, from an artist to another artist, from a writer, comedic actor to an established actor, I respect you. I want to see you again in front of the camera. You are way too talented. Wow, okay, so that was his letter. The day I wrote back to him was a day similar to today's day. So this is the letter that I actually wrote and sent to him. Dear James, thank you for appreciating the character I played, Andrew. I do believe he has a great legacy. Did you know he was originally supposed to be the role of Tucker, played by another actor, but he was unavailable? I am an amazing and extremely talented actor, so naturally, I booked the part. Can you imagine someone else playing it? Like, picture someone extremely handsome, like Michael Fassbender. Doesn't work, right? Geek pedigree is important to have these days. Geeks are taking over. And when I talk loud like that, that means I'm doing all caps. Brains and smarts rule. You mentioned in your message that I should get back in front of the camera. I actually am in front of the camera quite often. I was just on an episode of Episodes that aired last week. I haven't watched it yet because I have a hard time listening to my own voice. You should watch me try to record my outgoing voicemail message. It starts out all normal, and then like 25 minutes later, my voice is all crazy deep and stuff and sounds like this. I wish you could hear how it sounds. It's difficult to describe in words. As a writer, you said your wheels were in neutral. 
What does that mean? What does that mean? Are your gears in neutral so your wheels are ready to roll? Or do you mean they're in a good place so that you can make a turn at any moment? I am a very defensive driver. I just recently got a ticket for distracted driving. I was not texting! I was, I was using the speakerphone and I picked it up to move it for a second and then the popo was like, pull over! I lied and I said I was checking my navigation, but I guess that's just as bad. You said I need to come back. Back where? Was I gone? Am I missing? Did I meet you once in Vancouver and you want me to come back to there? Well, if it's Vancouver, I will definitely go back to there. It's so beautiful. And they have delicious food there. I had an amazing hot dog at the Jappa dog cart outside the Sutton Place Hotel. People call it the Slutton Place because all the movie stars have sex with other people even though they are married. Sluts! <laughs> I recommend it. I mean, I recommend the hot dog, not the sex outside your marriage. Unless you're into that kind of thing, I have no judgments either way. I definitely agree that I could carry a leading role. People all the time tell me, you should have your own show. I agree. I'd love to play a detective on a crime show, but all that fake blood and violence freaks me out, so maybe the sitcom is best. You've been around the Woodstock Film Festival? I thought the Woodstock thing was more of a music place, but if the festival is fun and if they have a decent alcohol sponsor, I will let them show my nerdgasm documentary when it's finished. But they'd have to fly me out and put me up. I will not fly myself out for a film festival. I know what festivals are really about. They're actually just a great way to boost the local economy. People buy plane tickets. They spend money on hotel rooms. They eat at local restaurants. I know the truth. It's about cold, hard cash. I won't be a part of it. So much all caps, I'm sorry. Unless they fly me out and put me up. Okay. Also, I will need a per diem. You said your credits are legit. FB the WFF. Is that wrestling? If we are going to be honest, I think wrestling is ridiculous. It's not real. Everyone knows it's not real. So why do people go to the arena and deal with the hassle of expensive parking, tiny beers, and there's never enough bathrooms when it's not real? <laughs> I guess that could be, say, of a Britney Spears concert, though. She's not really singing, but I'm sort of okay with that. Does that make sense? Like, I just kind of want to be in the room with her and just, like, watch her moving around. I don't mind if she's not dancing as hard as she used to or vocalizing in any way. I just feel like I'm really on her side, um, and I want her, I want her to succeed, you know? Which is what I'm feeling I'm getting from you about me, and I appreciate it! for saying you want me back in front of the camera. I'm in front of the camera almost every day at auditions, and sometimes it makes me so sad that they never call back to tell you how you did. Either way, was I good? Was I bad? Is green an okay color for me to wear? Would I look better with shorter hair? Today, I had a Burger King audition that wasn't great. They asked me to improvise a scene where I had to cheer for a basketball game. I have no idea how to do that! There's no way to improvise believable basketball things unless you actually are a basketball fan. So I said things like, he shoots, he scores.
stars and points for my team. <laughs> Who's going to believe that? No one. But I'm a good actor and I wish they could see that. You don't have to know basketball things to be a good actor. I'll stand behind that. I genuinely appreciate your passion for my career and my talents as an actor. I hope that I soon will be the lead actor on a show or film that you are able to enjoy. And if it's something you wouldn't necessarily watch, I hope you will watch it just to see me. Follow me on Twitter if you want to hear when I'll be in things. All the best, Tom. <laughs> Chris Sheets and Lisa Waugh returned to the show with more letters from Lisa's family in the South. So my dad and his brothers were these rough, poor, roughneck kids, and uh, they were always looking for things to do. Um, most groups for children of their ages, and, and they were 9, 10, uh, 11, and 14, wouldn't take them because they knew more cuss words than any adult. Yeah, shit, fuck, cuss. We, uh, we could cuss them all out. They didn't give merit badges to kids who could steal cars by the time they were 10 or could run a moonshine still by the time they were 8. Uh, uh, seven. The wall kids had all been given the long eye of judgment and summarily kicked out of summer Bible school one at a time. Now look, look, nobody said that our popsicle stick Jesuses couldn't be anatomically correct. <laughs> The brothers won every How Poor Are You contest, and they were proud of it. They had to be. Pride held them together. And hunger, there was always hunger. Now look, what, uh, what she's trying to say is what we, were, we weren't the fucking Waltons. No. <laughs> but there was one club we wanted to join up with, and it was an exclusive hunting club. Now these fellers had something going, and it was big doing. Everybody who was anybody showed up to these monthly meetings, even the local sheriff and the chief of police. So the hunting club was full of energy and religious-like charisma, and there was plenty of food afterwards. You guys all liked that. That's right, we did. They also liked the feeling of taking part in something bigger than themselves, to be joined in purpose, even if that purpose was sometimes confusing. Yeah, well, we were confused a lot back then, but we wanted to join anyway. See, we, we, we was good hunters, so we thought we'd fit right in. But it only took one time up on Sand Mountain for me and my brothers to clash with them fucking Mahaney brothers who ran the outfit. Now, the Mahaneys were related to some fancy pants people who ran the town of Section Alabama, and two of them could read, so they thought they was hot shit. <laughs> So after my Uncle Lee and my dad, his name was Fat, his nickname, and he got into a fight with Earl, it's true, Earl and Billy Mahaney over some girl they all liked. The Mahaneys were not going to let the Wah Boys join. The, the Mahaneys now, they were teenagers, yeah. and you guys were younger, and then later you would eventually lie about your ages to get into the military, Right. and then you lost this fight. We, we were children, and then Mahaneys, they had sticks. Okay, so the hunting club was broken into chapters across the southeast, and there was a, an appointed leader who supervised all the regions. Right, right. Now listen to this. Now I decided to write to the nearest head man in Chattanooga. I was going to write to the Honorable Donald Lester West Craven himself to see what could be done. And I'm wondering how you could do that because you couldn't read or write. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> no, I could not. But there was nothing, no shame in that. 
most of the county didn't know their numbers or letters. <clears throat> I wasn't, we weren't letting to school. There was a fire. It was accidental, the fire. But Doug's uh, girlfriend, Cirilla, she was eight years older than him and starting high school for the second time. <laughs> she could read and write. Yeah, she could do more than that. So, Sorella uh, wrote up, I had Sorella write up a letter to Mr. West Craven, and she was none too happy about it. No, she, she, she wasn't the type to write a letter to important people. We're just asking for trouble, she'd say. Said the club was full of important people who'd turn on us just because we were poor as, as shit and all. Said we weren't joiners. I didn't exactly know what she meant. Cirilla was smart and all, but this was men's business, so. I told her that we should join up, we should be allowed to join up with any outfit that if and we wanted to without them Mahaney trash telling us what's what. They didn't own everything, so to hell with them. So Cirilla dictated Doug's thoughts thusly into a letter. Oh, Jesus God, what? <laughs> Dear Honorable Donald Lester West Craven, I know that I should be writing to the head man of Jackson County, but the Honorable Cleveland Percival Lawgood is in the county lockup pending his trial. <laughs> so I'm bringing this matter to you. Me and my brothers would like to be allowed to join the North Alabama Den, even though Grand Giant Odom, Odom Hay Mahaney said we can't. The Mahaneys run the outfit in section up on Sand Mountain. We had an alt. Shit. We had an altar. I vacation altercation we had a fight <laughs> with him and Nighthawk Willis and Grand Turk Orville Mahaney we cannot be uh, if we cannot be let into that particular outfit we'd like permission to start up our own hunting club down in Braintree near Crow Mountain and the Crying Baby Cemetery we have ample acreage uh, for the gatherings and at least 20 members to start with. Thank you for your time, Mr. West Craven. <laughs> Sincerely, Douglas Hillwater Walk. I know I didn't say some of that to Cirilla, so she must have been going rogue on that letter. <laughs> Shit, I don't even think she knew how to say some of those things. Cirilla was sure that the letter was going to lead to trouble. Yeah, that's right. She was shaking like a leaf. With the law, and there was always plenty of that with you guys. Big fucking shocker. <laughs> but just as nerves were getting to everyone, and after many heated debates among the brothers, a letter arrived from Chattanooga, and it read, huh. Dear Mr. Wall, I appreciate your reaching out to me about this matter, but we do not tolerate any dissension in the ranks. It would be best if you boys would all work out your differences and come together. Sincerely, Donald L. West Craven. P.S. I hope and pray for a positive outcome of our brother Law Good, as he is a good man. Oh, Lisa, I, I always hoped he sounded as regal and, and statement-like as that. You mean like Boss Hawk, because that's Hawk. Yes, like a royal and regal Boss Hawk. So when Cirilla retrieved this letter from the mailbox, her heart froze. She dreaded its contents. Her hands were shaking. She read it to the gathered Wall Brothers. And it read, Dear Mr. Wall, I have not heard back from our last correspondence. I have heard, however, through our sources in your area, that you have not settled your dispute. I hope you are not continuing on in a manner of divisiveness. Our numbers are drilling across this great nation, and splinter groups are greatly discouraged. I await your response. Yours, Donald L. Westcraven, Chattanooga, Tennessee. P.S. I have heard from Logood's wife and the outcome of his trial is looking perilous. 
And what he meant was that probably um, Percival Logan was going to be convicted on the charges of bank robbery. Well, everybody knew that was going to happen. Now, now this one. Now, Wes Craven was saying it was okay, right? No, in this letter, he's actually saying no for the second time. Well, shit. So the brothers were troubled about the letters, but my Uncle Lee, he wasn't. Oh, no, no, Lee was not. Lee said, I'm going to do an impersonation. <clears throat> this Wes Craven may be some fancy pants type, with all due respect to his position, but he don't live around here. He don't know what type of low dogs these Mahaney's are, and we don't have the time or the paper to answer. Fuck it. <laughs> so anyway, Cirilla started in to make a wreck, and I had to calm her down because Lee's word was final, and that was that. Plus, he was 14 and taller than a dogwood. Okay, so the brothers made a plan to how their hunting club would run. And they focused mainly on the other side of the tracks in Hampton Hill. This community had come together over time as a place where most of the families would settle. They were the remnants of the now-defunct hosiery mill that sat empty at the mouth of the train station that had bordered the small town. Yeah, we know them kids and their mamas and daddies. We traded with them on trade day at Thirst Monday. <laughs> Lost my virginity in that old mill. The hastily... <laughs> thought a plan was that they would burn symbols in the name of their club in the yards of these families and then stand in the street and yell disparaging things at the occupants of the houses as they had been instructed to do up on Sand Mountain. Now, these symbols were made, uh, crudely made, as the Wakid salvaged materials from old barns. They were meant to be fashioned into the symbol of the cross, but the wood was flimsy and the nails, they were bent, and the results were sad-looking X's and V's. Or real lumpy looking pile. Anyway, we didn't know what it really meant. We just knew that that's what the main hunt club did, so that's what we did. We thought it had something to do with staking out your territory, so when you go back to do actual hunting, that's where you'd go, but shit, we didn't know what, there, there wasn't nothing to hunt there. There was no deer, no quail there, so it didn't make a lick of sense, but we did it because everybody else was doing it. Nevertheless, the brothers set about their nighttime activities with fervor, mainly confusing the recipients of the burning X's and V's. Many heads were scratched in wonder at the small, harmless, flaming messages. Yeah, you know what? It, shit, nobody ever showed up anyway. It was just me, Lee, your daddy, Monk, Goob, Jesse sometimes, but mostly just the four of us. So the brothers' reign of terror? brought mostly irritation in Hampton Hill and was short-lived. Yeah. Yeah, that it was. Yeah, one night, well, I guess it was the last night, we were up on Mill Street. We were sitting in the, sitting in the truck, and we stole the, the truck from Daddy because at night he usually laid up drunk a lot. So anyway, we were talking about how we were going to kick out them old boys who were, who'd never show up. And our youngest brother, Monk, he slipped out of the truck, of the cab of the truck, and he was, he was going to get everything ready. And um, Monk, he fiddled with some stuff in the bed of the truck, and then he, uh, he slipped off. And we thought he went to piss. So we were sipping on some hooch. Now, I guess I should explain that uh, we were taught by our daddy to smoke corn silk and drink corn liquor so we wouldn't eat them out of the house and home. 
So that's okay that we were children drinking. <laughs> anyway, we was passing back the hooch back and forth, and then we realized that some time had gone on. And when we got out, Monk, Monkey was back. He was breathing hard and stuffing something into his overalls. And my brother Lee, he asked him, what you doing, boy? Monk didn't answer, he just grabbed a sack of wood stakes. Then we got all our gear together and fat. He picked a house and we were fixing to head towards it, but Monk, Monk got all flustered. He said, no, no, not that, not that one. No, that, let's go somewhere else. Let's go up on the Crane Mountain. Well, we all got all kinds of curious, so Monk was sure acting funny. And Lee asked to see what he put in his overalls and Monk gets all red faced, he backs up, he's holding up his fist. Don't, I'm not giving you shit. He's trying to act bigger than he was because Monk was the runt. And Lee, being the oldest and about as mean as our daddy could be when he was drinking, went up to Monk, socked him one. Monk went down like a sack of ruined potatoes. So, when Monk is flat on his back, Lee plucks the piece of paper from his overalls pocket and he peels it open and he hands it to my Uncle Ham. Now my Uncle Ham, he can read a little. He peers at the piece of paper in the dim moonlight. I'm gonna do my ham impersonation now, look. Now he had hollered out, well I'll be fucked and feathered, Monk's got himself a sweetheart. And Ham mockingly reads the letter while Monk howls his objections from the ground. Dearest, I hope you can come over tomorrow night Daddy and Mama will be at church meeting. <laughs> I'll be looking after the kids, but they won't tell on us. They like you. Come to the back of the house. I'll leave the porch light on when it's clear. Yours, Anita. Now, we all know who Anita was. She was this pretty gal that we used to go to school with when we went to school before the fire. <laughs> she was the daughter of the pastor in Mount Zion First Methodist. She worked at the new hosiery mill next to the old one and her daddy would buy produce from our daddy on trade day. Yeah, everyone knowed Anita. She was smart and a looker. Well, very ladylike. So we was all looking at Monk, and he was still down, looking like a kicked dog, and he was ready to beat wholesale ass or run. And uh, he was trying to make up his mind. But nobody fought Lee, not even Daddy no more. And Monk's face, it told it all. See, here we were burning crosses, or X's as it is, in these people's yards and raising hell and right then and there it didn't seem fun or bright or shit even Christian. He really liked this Anita gal and didn't matter what color she was. Now we never laid a hand on nobody but I reckon what we done was bad enough. That was clear all of a sudden. So my Uncle Lee, he hands the letter back to Monk and says, Well, let's pack it up. I guess we're done with the Ku Klux Klan. And then we rode home and, uh, <laughs> talking about other shit we can get into. <laughs> you know, Cyrilla was right. About what? We won joiners after all.
Colleen Smith improvises a friend breakup letter. Oh. Diane sent me a letter. It's huh. old-fashioned of you, Diane. Thank you. All right. Dear Miriam, I find you intolerable. Well, it's intolerable, so you're an idiot. You're negative, uh, poisonous, and overall, a terrible presence in my life. No, that's your husband, who's cheating on you, by the way. With your black nanny, so. Oh, oh, here we go. Last week at my birthday party, when you had four white wine spritzers, and you insisted that the Beatles were the best band on earth. Then you went up to my stereo and proceeded to play Rubber Soul over and over and over again and said that you almost had an orgy to a crowd full of children. I realized two things. One, I've heard that story about 15 times. And maybe seeing a group of people sort of making out on a couch is not you almost having an orgy. And second, that you are a horrible mother. I said bring your children, and you didn't bring your children. You brought your alcoholism. Your children are often at my house hanging out with my children because they say, Mommy's too tired to cook dinner or breakfast or lunch or listen to you or pay attention to you or watch TV with you or pay attention to your interests or pick you up from soccer practice or drop you off at soccer practice or help you with school projects or get you your impetigo medicine. I think that you are what I learned from Law & Order SVU is a narcissist. Oh, well, wonderful. We're getting diagnostics from Mariska Hargitay. She's the product of rape. I have Googled narcissism, and it turns out it cannot be treated. The best thing for me to do is set up healthy boundaries. And by boundaries, I need to remove you from my life. Sincerely, Diane. <laughs> Diane? Uh-huh, yeah, I got it. You're a cunt face. <laughs> Thank you. Mary Jo Smith, no relation to Colleen, reads a powerful letter to her attacker, and the producers of the show are honored that she would share her experience with us and ultimately with you. I wasn't sure what I was going to read tonight when I got asked to do the show, and um, I was going through a box of um, scrapbook stuff that will likely never make it into a scrapbook, <laughs> and uh, I found the letter that I'm going to read. Um, and I, this is a letter I wrote um, 20 years ago, and never sent, because I didn't know where to send it. Um, I had completely forgotten I wrote it until I pulled it out of the box and started reading it. 
and I very clearly remember writing it now. <clears throat> Friday, February 10th, 1995, 1 a.m. The kettle is screaming what I wouldn't do for a cigarette, get off of me. I jump when the toaster does, sharp springs shooting rye crumbs across the counter, they scatter and hide. Black man ran from the room, do you see me now? Can you see me now? Halloween thoughts covered in dark, greasy masks hide the skin, cover me up, don't touch me, get away from me, get off of me. Hot tea, I smell the chamomile. Hot tears on my face. Who the fuck are you? Who the fuck do you think you are? You are evil. I hate you. Don't touch me. Please don't touch me. Get off of me. Do you know what you've done to me? Do you have any idea how deep my wounds go? How broken I am? You didn't hit me. I don't look like the women in TV movies. Where are my bruised eyes and blackened face? On the inside. Squeeze my throat, breath stuck tight, hands. I can feel them there still. It would be really stupid if you tried to look at me, you said. I tried anyway. Tried to see you reflected in the glass of the door I so often left open. Saw your face in the dark, made sinister by the red, red glow of my cheap digital clock. I would know you. I would know your face. I would know your hands. I would know your voice. You are cruel and crazy. You make me sick. You saw me see and blinded me with my own t-shirt, but I saw enough. Silver pieces gathered on the dining room table. You left them when you ran from the house. Did you think I had a gun? If I had, I would have killed you. Over and over again. I would have drank your blood and spit it out and kicked you in the head. Over and over again. Months have gone by. I am not the same. I live in fear. I look over my shoulder. I wait at corners, afraid to step off the curb into darkness. I barely sleep, minutes at a time. When I do, I dream of guns and black men and your hands on my throat and your voice in my ear. Tell me you like it. I tell you. I wake up with tears on my face and breath in my throat, my hands and fists, my back to the wall, but not to the door, never to the door. Have to watch for you. Have to feel for the knife between my new mattress and pillow that my mommy bought me. Thank you, mommy. Have to wake up in the dark and search the shadows for your face. Come back to finish, because I kicked you in slow motion and you hit the wall and shook the closet doors. And you ran into the heater and the chair as you left. And your face was lit from behind. And I saw you, and you were not ugly. You were young and clean-shaven, wearing dark pants and a white shirt, a wife-beater. You leave a trail of cologne behind as you disappear into the night. Your pants around your ankles, my sanity in your hands. You left hair in my bed, prints on the wall. They will find you. Will they find you? Please let them find you. It is night. It is always night. I sit with fear and grief. I hate you. Get off of me. <clears throat> so after I found that letter, which I had forgotten about until I pulled it out of the box, um, I was overwhelmed, and I remembered very clearly the night that I wrote it. And I remembered me that night and the many, many nights around that time when I was so afraid all the time. And I started thinking about what today me would say to myself back then, knowing what I know now. So I wrote another letter. Dear 1995 me, I want to hug you. I want to reach out and tell you you're going to be OK. It will take a while, longer than you'll like, but eventually you will be yourself again. Not exactly the same, 
but close. You will learn to talk about it, tell the story, sometimes with gory details, sometimes without. You will be ashamed of your overwhelming fear of the totally innocent black men you encounter in the world, but in a few years, those irrational feelings will recede and you will know you were attacked by an individual, nobody else, and you'll have a one night stand with a beautiful dark Caribbean man at Club Med and you will be healed of that nonsense. <laughs> they will never find him. At first, you'll be relieved, too scared to see him. Then disappointed you won't get your day in court the way you always imagined, pointing your finger his way from the stand across the crowded courtroom to identify him. You, you did this, while the press looks on because of course there would be press. <laughs> but eventually you won't need that either. You will have moved on. You will stop sleeping with a knife under your pillow. And you'll never sleep really, really well again, but you will sleep better year after year, though never again on your stomach, but that's okay. At first, the anniversary will haunt you. It will keep you up at night, all night, your back pressed to the wall, a knife in your hand, certain history will repeat itself. You will cry every year for the scarlet letter on your chest he left there. But over time, it will be less and less of a dark marker, until one day, about five years ago, you'll be surprised to realize the anniversary had passed without you noticing. And you'll cry again, but this time with relief. The ghosts have shifted. You will stop being angry, Stop being afraid. You will stop crying. And although you will resist it for a long time, you will finally find some good in what happened. You will find your power. He's off of you. My name is Jane Entwistle, and I am one of the producers of the show. I read a letter to Penthouse Magazine about a childhood curiosity gone embarrassingly wrong. Dear Penthouse Forum, <laughs> I thought that would get your attention. This is not one of those letters. Lord knows I've read enough of those letters to know what it takes to qualify as one of those letters. There was a time when I could only read the letters in your magazine. The pictures disturbed me. I would even go so far as to say they frightened me. I was only 13 when I started my relationship with you and a young 13 at that. There was a giant disconnect physically between those women and me. My mom and dad had parted ways and I found myself a member of a new blended family. An only child up until that point and a British one at that. I was dumbfounded as to how to handle the 16-year-old boy suddenly occupying the bedroom next to mine. My new brother had thick, wavy hair and a leather jacket and a clutch of male friends who would stride through the house after school demanding I cook for them while they tossed their hair and listened to Foreigner. I was both terrified and titillated by these boy men who teased me relentlessly finding me a nuisance and a curiosity, pinning me down in the living room so they could blow a funny-smelling smoke in my face. I would squirm and squeal hot tears running down my red cheeks, hearing my new brother laughing derisively and secretly wishing it were him pinning me down on the shag carpet. My friends would stare with confusion at the picture of my brother in my locker. So, he is your brother, right? I mean, you two are related, right? Because it's kind of weird, eh? This, this was in Canada. 
Yes, but we just met and we're not related, not yet, anyway. <laughs> I would sneak into his room when he was out and lay in his bed and leave him little notes hidden amongst his things. And he, uh, he would ambush me in the hall, eat my portion of snacks and yell at me to stay the hell out of his room. And we shared a bathroom. And that's where you come into play, Penthouse, because it didn't take me long to find his magazines hidden behind the towels. I would innocently, seriously, innocently sit on the toilet and pour over the stories. <laughs> Mostly confused, but deliciously entranced. I can say with all honesty that I had no idea what I was reading. I hadn't even held a boy's hand yet. The closest I'd come was touching my brother's hand when he would wrestle me for the last ding-dong. <clears throat> but I really enjoyed reading the stories a lot too much. I started spending so much time in the bathroom, my parents was worried I had cystitis. <laughs> my brother, of course, knew full well what I was up to, and the magazine stayed fully stocked. He called me a dirty bird. And when he was charged with staying in on a Saturday night to look after me, he would sneak out, buying my silence in exchange for a dirty movie. I will never forget Bo Derek running in slow motion down the beach in her swimsuit with her braided hair flying. That was the dirty movie, 10. <laughs> but I was 13. I was like, lady in a bathing suit running in slow motion. It's so... <laughs> It makes my tummy feel funny. <laughs> One day, as I sat perched on the toilet, captivated by Penthouse Forum, my mother came knocking on the door. Janie, she hissed, your brother is out here with all of his friends. Come out immediately. Yes, mommy, I said, flushing the toilet while I still sat on top of it, hoping to buy myself some time. I, I felt the splash hit my bottom, but didn't think anything of it. I willed myself to read faster and finish the story before my mum came knocking again, and then it started. The burning. Building. Building. Taking over my entire bottom. I leapt up off the toilet and danced around, the burning getting stronger and brighter. I began to whimper as the searing pain shot all around my bottom and my front bits. I climbed up onto the edge of the bathtub, twisting myself to try and see my bottom in the mirror. <laughs> Frantic thoughts flying through my mind about Penthouse Magazine and the side effects of reading too many dirty stories. Was I being punished? Was this the dark side of sex? Turning this way and that, my bottom finally came into view in the mirror, and I let out an ear-piercing scream. My bottom was bright blue. I shot out of the bathroom, leaving underpants behind, and hurtled into the kitchen. Sitting at the I'm, I'm no, I'm naked. Okay? I, have a, I have a little shirt on, and my ass is blue. Do you under like bright blue? The whole thing. And sitting at the table is my brother and his entourage of leather-clad boys with feathered 80s hair. A moment of shocked silence before the peals of laughter, some boy men falling from their chairs onto the floor. Oh, the howling and the pointing. My mother gathered me up and hurried me to the bathroom. The soundtrack for my exit, Blue Butt, chanted at top volume. 
Everyone knew what I was doing in the bathroom, and this only heightened the whole sordid affair. As for the real culprit, my mother was experimenting with modern cleaning devices, except she had installed the Tidy Bowl liquid cleaner upside down. Right? So when I flushed the toilet, Tidy Bowl blue bleachy stuff shot up my ass. The burning, bleach burning my ass, right? And no one ever mentioned that fact. No, just that Janie was a dirty bird. It took a long time to live down the name Blue Butt. And I went right off Dirty Magazines. A virginal friend and I did try to write a penthouse forum letter once. We were about 15. Uh, but we got caught up on the logistics. Kind of, kind of like putting together an Ikea desk. You can see the end result, but are perplexed as to how the hell the pieces fit together. Somehow, penthouse, you are still there, though. Silently turning pages as my intimate life unfolds. I'm just really glad that fucking blue stain isn't still there because that would be a different letter, one with lawyer's initials at the bottom. <laughs> I just wanted you to know the impact you've had on my life. And while I can't quite determine whether that impact is good or bad, <laughs> it's a done deal. And I can't say I really regret it. All my love, well, not quite all of it, Jane. <laughs> You have been listening to To Whom It May Concern, produced by Jane Entwistle and Justin Crane. The music for this show was played by Troy Turoy. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single letter. If you're in Los Angeles, join us for the live show. And if you have a letter you would like to submit or you would like to drop us a line, visit us at www.readyourletter.com. Very quiet night, the policeman. Policeman, policeman, little children cannot understand, policeman is doing all.